Welcome to a special episode of Rogue Librarians, a podcast in which three librarians discuss banned books. We are your hosts, Marion, Dorothy, Alana, and, and we, we are, are the, the Rogue, Rogue librarians. librarians. We would love for you to participate in our discussion. Please visit theroguelibrarians.com or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Rogue Librarians Pod or on Twitter at our librarians. Our episode this time is a little different than usual. Rather than discussing a book that has been banned, we had the opportunity to interview an author about her new book. Bella Higgin just released Revelations, her second book in the Belmort series. We are so excited to share our interview with Bella Higgin. Bella first fell in love with vampire fiction after reading an illustrated copy of Dracula as a kid. So it was inevitable that her dream career would involve writing about vampires. Her works on Wattpad have amassed more than 13 million reads, including her publishing debut, the Belmort series. A collector of swords, books, and TV memorabilia, she hopes to one day have enough money to build a TARDIS in her garden. Bella currently lives and writes full-time in a small English town not far from the sea. And we had a wonderful time talking with Bella today. She was just so kind and thoughtful, and it was really interesting. What did the two of you think? Oh, I just love talking to authors so much. Um, and about vampire books, I mean, what's not to love? It was fantastic. It was great for me too, because it reminded me how much I do enjoy vampire books. Um, because like everyone else, um, I got drawn up into the whole, you know, um, the whole Twilight series and, mm -hmm. and, you know, that kind of brought a whole different um, feel to vampire books, but, but loving many other vampire books I've read and, and starting now to watch uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I've just, I've been having so much fun and, and I'm, I had the unique opportunity actually many years ago to visit um, Brand's Castle in Romania, which mm. um, was kind of cool, especially now knowing Bella's perspective on Dracula. So yeah, it, it was really special. Um, one thing I, I do want to mention is how interesting it was to talk to Bella about her perspective on book banning in the UK. Um, Cause it's, it's so different. She, she doesn't have to worry about what she writes. She just writes and yeah. publishes and not a conversation. It's not a conversation, which is great. It, it really is great. I mean, just to having that freedom of creativity and knowing your audience and putting out your creative work and not having to, to have any of that. Um, <clears throat> just fear in the back of your head that it's going to ruin your career or peg you as someone that whose books will not appear in libraries as a result. Mm -hmm. I think that was just a really nice perspective to hear. Yeah. yeah she talked definitely. a little bit, she talked a little bit about uh, not letting other people's opinions influence your creative process, which I think is uh, wise words. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I loved learning more about her writing process and some of the details in the books too, because I'm always curious how an author decides how to do things. And then when you get to know some of the story, it, it just deepens my appreciation for the books. It was 
it was really fun to read her books and um and we all especially enjoyed revelation so it was really fun to talk to her about them it really was and um i i do hope that some of our listeners will will pick up her books and explore them themselves we'd love to get your feedback on them yes definitely so without further ado here's our interview with bella hicken Bella, thank you so much for joining us on Rogue Librarians. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And congratulations on releasing Revelations. Thank you. It's very exciting. And we're really looking forward to talking to you about it, as well as Belmort. We wanted to ask you a few questions about your background before we dive into discussing your books, though. So I'm going to turn it over to Marion. Yes. Hi, Bella. Hi. What um, would you say was one of the most influential books that you personally read when you were growing up and why? And why was it influential? (laughs) In terms of my writing career, it's definitely Dracula. I mean, there are many, many childhood books that, you know, I was kind of addicted to growing up. I had all the Narnia books that I read so many times, they quite literally fell apart. (laughs) But it was Dracula that really you know, made me think, wow, vampires, yes, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wonderful. Very formative childhood yeah. book. Yeah, well, and then, um, so from, was it from your reading experience as a child or or something else in your life? Um, what led you to become a writer? It was, yeah, reading. I mean, I, I was reading from a really early age um, and I mean, books are just magic, aren't they? Why, oh, they why live in the real world when you can, you know, go away in a book and, you know, you uh, people tell me, oh, where are you going on your holidays this year? And I'm like, Middle Earth. <laughs> 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 where are you going? Right. Um, what could be better, honestly? <laughs> I kind of, you know, that, that was the sort of magic that shaped my life. And I just thought, well, I want to create magic. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely. And I mean... Did did you have a chance to travel much as a child growing up or were you more like you kind of stayed in one place and, and books opened up your world or or was it sort of a combination? I uh, know I definitely didn't have the money to travel sadly. It was a very long time. I don't think I went on an official holiday until I was 22. Oh, wow. So, yeah, definitely relied on books. Yeah, I mean, I, and that's that's the story I think for a lot of people, and I think that that's really compelling. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so would you mind giving us, in your own words, um, uh, give our listeners an introduction to Belmort and Revelations? Yeah. So Belmort is it imagines a world in which vampires have revealed themselves to the general public, and ten years later they've become you know the absolute ultimate celebrity. And they live in luxurious mansions and donors live with them to provide them blood. And our heroine isn't, she's not really into this whole sort of vampire celeb scene, but her sister is. And her sister becomes a donor for a very famous vampire house and disappears inside that house. So she becomes a donor herself to find out what's happened. 
and along the way finds that, you know, may, maybe vampires can be quite sexy after all. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And, and what about Revelations? So Revelations, can't say too much because of how the first book ends, but right. that is going to deal very much with what she has discovered about the darker side of mm. this little vampire celebrity and the power struggles behind the scenes and sort of a war that may be starting to brew. Mm. Right. Well, that's great. Well, we're so excited to discuss the books in more detail. Uh, but before we do, we just kind of wanted to touch on a little bit about banned books because uh, you may know that's what our podcast is about. We read and discuss banned books. Um, in the U.S., we've had you know record numbers of book challenges in the past couple of years, uh, and I was curious: is something is there a similar trend in the U.K.? Uh, if there is, I'm certainly not aware of it. I, I don't think that's really a thing over here, to be honest. Oh, it's fantastic. It's, yeah. it's quite harrowing on this side. <laughs> um, we, we've got a lot of uh, right-wing people making a whole lot of noise and trying to ban just incredible numbers of books. And it's, it's kind of a scary situation, uh, which is what kind of what prompted us to start the podcast in the first place. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm guessing then, uh, I mean, my next question was whether book banning attempts came up in your publishing process. Did you think about what, you know, whether readers would be upset about something that you had written uh, in, in the content or just didn't even cross your mind? I'll be really honest. It never even crossed my mind. No, oh, was, the yeah, luxury no point where, where that would have occurred to me at all. Um, mm. That's fantastic. <laughs> yes. Glad to know that that creative process is not being stifled. Yes. And in the U S we're aware of, um, twilight having been, <clears throat> banned at certain points uh, because of its content. Um, I'm not aware of any other vampire books that have been banned, but um, that is one, um, especially after it came out for a few years. I uh, where there were a bunch of challenges. Yeah, yeah, but it hasn't, um, we haven't heard about Twilight as much recently. So how did you decide to write about vampires for these books? You mentioned being influenced by Dracula, but um, why did you decide uh, to write about it this time? And why do you think portrayals of vampires continue to fascinate people? I decided to write about them because they are for me, you know, sort of the, the fictional monster from my childhood. I love all of the, you know, all of them, ghosts, zombies, werewolves, fairies, everything but vampires were like the original for me. Mm -hmm. So no matter what happens, I always come back to them. Um, and I just, I wanted to write a young adult vampire book that had honestly a bit more biting in it because I'd read a lot that I was like, this is great, but where are the teeth? <laughs> 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 so I just, yeah, I really wanted there to be a lot more focus on some fangs. That's really interesting. Well, I loved Dracula, too, when I read it, um, but I haven't read as much uh, recent vampire fiction, so it was really great to read your books. Um, 
In what ways would you say your novels were influenced by Dracula, besides the fact that there's vampires? And um, what were some things that you decided to do differently? I don't think they sort of directly influenced or were influenced by Dracula, except for, you know, this, the kind of Dracula idea of, of elegant, sort of mysterious, supernatural creatures who can seduce you, but could just as easily kill you. I've, I've always really quite liked that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say they're That's the sexiest villains. Idea. Yeah. They can be. Which they can be. Which is pretty funny because originally they they weren't at all. They, they were not. <laughs> yeah. They were, right. not, they were not sexy. Dracula well, <laughs> was not sexy. No, but I would say that the female vampires in those in that book um, were sexy. The, like the ones true. who tried to um, get Jonathan when he's in the castle and also uh, Lucy once she's a vampire, you know, they, they are definitely um, voluptuous and, uh, you know, trying to seduce the, the men and children. But if you go way back, like before, before Dracula, sort mm-hmm. of the proper like myths and legends, they vampires were not, you know, there was nothing sexy about them. Dracula certainly immortalized it but it wasn't it wasn't actually original there is an earlier one um which never seems to get the credit it deserves which was about lord ruffin mm. short story which that was sort of the original you know hey vampires can be sexy and then mm-hmm. dragon came along and kind of solidified it interesting yeah well speaking of vampires and vampire lore uh when you write your own vampire book, and I definitely have noticed some interesting choices that you've made with the, you know, the traditional vampire lore, you get to choose, you know, what you want to discard and what you want to keep. So for instance, your vampires can go out in daylight if they're old enough, they've been around longer time. Uh, And you've got healing properties in their saliva. That's another, for instance, um, what lore from your books did you particularly enjoy including? Like, did you come up with something that is entirely yours? Was everything researched? Yeah, you know, what, what do you think? have, in the past, not for this book, but for vampire books that I wrote in the past of practice ones, I did absolutely massive amounts of research. I really was interested in, like I said, real vampire lore, what they used to be before they kind of got the Hollywood treatment. Um, and... Basically, the more you learn about it, the more you kind of think, okay, I get why, <laughs> I get why we're not making films about these vampires because they're not as interesting, they're not as compelling. Um, I mean, you know, there's a, one of my favourite ones is you can become a vampire if a cat steps across your corpse, and you're like, well, that's kind of cute, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, I don't know, it's not very, <clears throat> it's neither sexy nor villainous, so I, I get why things <laughs> like that kind of just got swept aside i mean everything that i've done probably has been done before to be honest everything has been done before um but yeah i i just i wanted to make sure that you know these vampires have strengths and weaknesses particularly younger vampires because you know it's no good if they're completely completely invincible well yeah no, what about some the versions have i'm sorry uh a lot of, no, some I... versions have young vampires being stronger i think twilight does that so i thought that was an interesting choice yeah yeah 
And I was curious about the the silver, the fact that they can't do anything about silver. Um, where did you come up with that? Silver is, again, this is just such an old legend. I mean, obviously, it's most famous for werewolves, but it is just generally known as being, you know, a pure metal that effectively used to repel evil and where vampires used to be seen as evil. It, it all kind of seems to come from that, as far as I can tell. And it's, it's just one that I've always quite liked, the idea of, of the fact that, you know, silver isn't that hard to get hold of, is it? You know, loads of people just have silver jewellery lying around that you think, hey, this could be a weapon. It just, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. Well, I know, I think True Blood definitely played on that. Ah, um, yeah, see, that's what I said. It's all been done before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wasn't I it mean, also in Buffy? Um, uh, uh, silver. I'm she has to a remember. silver crucifix. That yeah, she I think wears. it's more that it's a crucifix. I, I think that was because it was a crucifix, yeah. But you yeah. could be... I, mm, it's a long time since I've seen that episode. Um, <laughs> um, I'm a big Buffy fan, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so I was I particularly loved this idea of the vampires as living history, uh, yeah, you know, resources. Um, how great would that be, right? If we had people who yeah. lived through <laughs> the history to tell us more about what it was really like, because God knows we do a terrible job of it at least in this country um lately uh so if you could talk to a vampire who'd been living for hundreds of years uh what period would you be most interested in learning about how would you ever choose i mean (laughs) i don't see how you could ever pick one particular period there's so much that you like that we don't know or that we could know more about well and for that matter geography too like we yeah. t- I, we tend to think of history as it exists in our particular culture, right? But what hmm. what it was like 300 years ago, you know, with Native Americans versus, you know, Eastern Europe versus, uh, oh, you know what I would want? I would want a vampire who had been around when Stonehenge was made so we could learn more about that. Yeah, that would, there are all these answers, you know, I bet a vampire would know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Right. Yes. definitely you'd want to speak to you know have you know was there a vampire gladiator ever was there right. a vampire who you know as you said stonehenge or even further back like how you know mm-hmm. whether or not they'd want to share them <laughs> well that's a good question too well that makes the interesting writing right uh, yeah. i especially liked your details about the french revolution and uh the great war i thought it was really interesting to hear uh, Edmund's perspectives on that. That and just to the idea that the vampires had fought alongside, you know, they, they're not so othered in that yeah. sense because they they were there fighting along with regular soldiers. Mm-hmm. I really liked that inclusion as well. I did too. And I, I liked the fact that they were affected by it. You know, yeah. it wasn't just a thing that they lived through, but <clears throat> it affected it and it was a part of a formative part of who they were. Yeah, there's, I think that that was another reason with this book in particular, something else I'd noticed with vampire books is you'll have a vampire who's been around for two, three, four, five, six hundred years, but they never talk about it or you never know anything other than, oh yeah, you know, I was there for that. And you're like, but what happened? What happened to you? <laughs> Um, and there always seemed to be a, a lack of the history. So I thought, 
like that would be one of the first things I would want to know if I've met a vampire I was like tell me everything mm-hmm. yeah no one else in a lot of vampire books ever seems to want to know and I was thinking why <laughs> You know, that's that's really true because, you know, you think back to um, the Twilight books, for example, they, the history was more like about the elegance that, you know, the yeah. elegant periods that they lived through and the way they dressed and talked and, but not about how that history formed who they were. So, yeah, yeah that's really fascinating. What I actually have is, is on Wattpad where... Belmont was very first written I actually have an enormous collection of short stories which follows all of the main vampire characters some of them from children up to present day so it covers all of the like some of the major historical events all, all that kind of thing so uh-huh. so we can go back more. and read those that's cool yeah and that's all uh- free that's all free to read so there's a lot more about the war French Revolution all of that there's a lot of yeah wow oh, nice. yeah <laughs> And you wrote those first or No, in I between? wrote them afterwards because when sort of on, on what when the series started gaining popularity, I just kind of thought, well, there's so much I can do with this world. And, you know, people seem to want to know, you know, that as you said, Edmund's experiences in the war. I'm like, well, I could write about that. I can't put as much into the novel itself because of the word count restrictions, but why can't I just write some stories? Yeah. Well, I I know, I think Cassandra Clare has a couple of books out on her, um, what's the name of that series? The, um, the, mortal, the mortal Devices or The Mortal Instruments? The Mortal Instruments. Yeah. Um, my first intro to that whole thing was, uh, was a book of short stories about one of the characters. So yeah. it was, a, and it was, a, I really enjoyed it. I loved those little compilations. They're fun. Yeah, you just get to see more of the characters. I really like them. Yeah, definitely. And um, <clears throat> I think, you know, when you kind of fall in love with a series, you you do like, you know, you're you're waiting with bated breath for the next one to be written. But also you just want to know everything about your characters. I mean, that that's kind of the world we live in where with social media, we, we just want to know more about the, the people we yeah. admire. <laughs> yeah, so. and it gives you a chance to, to sort of explore the events that are mentioned in the book. You kind of think, oh, if you actually want to read that story in full, you now can. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. yeah. When you mentioned the, um, you know, the Great War in the and the French Revolution, were there books or authors that you had read before or history class, whatever, that inspired you to particularly choose those two um, historical events? I mm, Interesting question. Do you know, now that you mention it, there actually was a, I don't know if it was a full book or a short story, and I no longer have any idea what it was called. It was in a big book of stories I had when I was a kid about a man in disguise who went and sort of rescued people from the guillotine. And I've only just remembered it. And I think that possibly subconsciously was something I was very interested in. Um, but unfortunately, I have no idea what it was called or who wrote it, which is really sad. <laughs> um, and obviously, you know, World Wars was such a dark period in history that it, you kind of think that will have affected everyone. And it's a time period that everyone is familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, because, I mean, obviously we're American, and America hasn't had these wars fought on, you know, our current land. But if you grow up in Europe, you know, 
all the great wars, there's there's history and and you know buildings still left in in disrepair yeah. from many of these great wars. So, yeah, I I was actually thinking um, a tale of two cities, you know, because that's always where right. I go with the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's um, like the only book we've ever read here in America about. <laughs> about well, the- I mean, I was a French major, so <laughs> I've read more, but immediately. You know, I was introduced to Dickens when I was in, um, I guess, seventh and eighth grade, so um, middle school. But um, anyway, but that's that's what I, you know struck me as I was reading it. And of course, being a French major, I was like, "Woohoo!" You know, I can I can speak the French. I know what he's saying. <laughs> well, I'm glad you did because I struggled with that a bit. I didn't have to that. I'm, I'm not. My French is uh, not great. <laughs> well, and I I loved the way you made Rennie not know it. You know, so that yeah. it was like. <laughs> What did you say? Um, but yeah, um, I, I do want to move us along. So, um, okay. um, and this kind of leads into the next question. Anyway, Rennie, um, the main character, seems to be, you know, kind of the only one in your stories who's not initially viewing the vampires as monsters. She's not drawn in as a Vladict. Um, well, you know, she, she is viewing them as monster, right? As is. opposed to everybody else. Yeah, I said yeah. that wrong. Thank you for correcting <laughs> me. But um, so I'm, I'm just curious, how did you decide to make most of the vampires be empathetic and more human-like, and and less of the monstrous characters that we've seen in the past? Um, I think for some of them, perhaps I didn't as much. I think there are definitely moments in the book where you know you're sort of looking at someone who's around for hundreds of years and is going to view the world differently you know um Isana's a character for example is much more ruthless than Rennie would be and has right. a much darker outlook on human nature but as Edmund points out it's because she's seen so much of it so she is much more likely to distrust someone because you know, she's lived for a very long time and, and she has lots of reasons not to trust people. Mm, um, yeah. And again, there are sort of other things in, in the sequel that I can't maybe <laughs> go into <laughs> too much, except that maybe not all the vampires are entirely happy with the current hierarchy. Right. And, mm-hmm. and how they fit in with the world at the moment. And maybe maybe some of them would prefer to be a bit more monstrous or to be allowed to be a bit more monstrous rather than having to, you know, play the happy celebrity all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I think you could argue that um, being monstrous is, does not, you know, that's humans can be quite monstrous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. well, yeah. So if you've been around and seen it yourself. Well, really that's kind of the vampire's POV, right? That's why Yusan yeah. doesn't, trust people because people suck <laughs> and i think the other thing of course that vampires have which is something that is addressed more in the third book is that you know however evil a human can be a vampire is capable of much more physical damage just with their bare hands mm-hmm. it, right. you know you if you if a human you know loses their temper they can throw a punch and you know break your jaw if a vampire does it they could you know, splinter your entire skull. Right. Obviously very different. Um, So there's definitely an element of they are capable of much more than the average human is. Uh, I mean, they could literally rip you, you know, limb from limb if they wanted to, which obviously a human can't. So there's definitely, they will have to 
stay very much in control. Sure. For sure. For sure. And and yet I, well, and of course they have hundreds of years to work on their personal skills, right? Their interpersonal <laughs> skills. But, um, but I, you know, but I also think the, the human-like qualities that stand out for me are the ability to see another, another, um, another's perspective. I don't want to say human or vampire, but to just see another's perspective. Um, and you see that many, many times throughout both of these books that one of the characters recognizes that another character has been through X, Y, Z, and that's why they respond the way that they do. Or that maybe we yeah. don't know what their life has been like before. And so we need to take in that into consideration before we condemn. Yeah. Which, yeah. Again, they've lived for a long time. So they have just so much experience with, with having to see things from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. It's actually kind of a nice tie-in to, uh, to being able to understand people how they're behaving due to the trauma that they've experienced. These vampires have experienced a lot of trauma. Yeah. It changes their behavior. Yeah. Pretty much no one gets out of the world unscathed in that area. <laughs> right. Well, that leads nicely into our next question. Um, I was curious, your first two books are mostly told from Rennie's perspective and first person point of view. But you also give us Edmund's perspective in third-person point of view occasionally. So how did you decide to use those POVs and to give us both of their perspectives? As soon as I started working on the book, I knew you had to see Edmund's perspective as well, because you're looking at this entire, you know, reimagined vampire world. And there's no point if you can only see it just from Rennie's perspective, especially because you know, she doesn't like vampires to start with and she's pretty against everything that they're doing. You mm -hmm. need Edmund to to balance that, to bring the other side of, okay, but here is it from our point of view, because it's not, you know, it's not as simple as, you know, vampires are pretty or vampires are evil or vampires are this or vampires are that. There's always nuance everywhere and, mm -hmm. and shades of grey, which I think is something that Rennie has to learn, but she won't learn that without a sort of counterbalance. Sure. And how did you decide to make his in third person rather than first person? So that was a choice because Rennie as a character is, she's much more open. Um, mm. She wears her heart on her sleeve. She kind of always, you know, it's quite emotional. And first person definitely seemed like the right choice for her. Whereas mm. Edmund certainly initially is a lot more guarded. Mm-hmm. He's a lot more careful about who he lets in. So it, it just seemed to me that would translate to third person because that's mm -hmm. him, you know, literally keeping even the reader at bay to begin with. Like, you know, whoa, whoa, <laughs> calm down. Can't get too close yet. Sure. <laughs> now that makes a lot of sense. And I think we get to see a lot more of his thoughts as we continue to go through the books. Yeah. Yeah. So um, another thing I was interested in was your books, especially Revelations, have some major plot twists, and most of them I did not see coming at all. <laughs> so how did you decide what to hint at and what to surprise the audience with? How, how did you make those choices as you were writing? 
in the very original versions of the books on Wattpad, they the first book ended a little bit differently in that you don't find out anything. You don't mm. find out who's, you know, done this or who's done that. It just ends on a big question mark, which for me was an okay choice to do because I've had the second book ready to go. So mm-hmm. readers didn't have to wait, you know, they just it to be like, the next book starts tomorrow. <laughs> But as soon as the the series was acquired for publication, one of the very first things I thought was, I'm going to have to change the ending because it's okay to leave questions unanswered, but you have to give readers something. You can't be like, I'll see you in a year for Uh any answers at all. Um, You know, speaking of vampire books, uh, after I read, I think I've read Interview with a Vampire and then Hmm. uh, Lestat, I refused yes. to read the book after Lestat because I was so mad about the way that Lestat ended. <laughs> <laughs> I was pissed off. <laughs> well, it, you know, that's what I thought. I just thought I can't, I can't leave readers with nothing. So we're going to have to take one of the reveals from book two and move it into book one. Mm. It then changed the whole beginning of book two and had to kind of cast doubt on is Rennie actually you know, with people doubting her version of events. We know she's telling the truth. But if no one else believes her, I was uh-huh. going to everything. Mm-hmm. So all that had to be completely written from scratch because, yeah, the first third of the book had to be scrapped. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so interesting. And I, I loved the fact that there was no evidence for what she yeah. had witnessed. And so, and like you said, it's just what she said versus what someone else said. So yeah. um, the, the fact that- of that. Yes. yes. No, I thought that worked really well. Um, another question we had was about um, how you write for a young adult audience. And um, especially in the second book, but in the first book too, you know, there's a lot of romance and um, discussions of sex. So how do you decide how to portray those things with a young adult audience in mind? And um, did you ever have to change how you wanted to do things because of writing for a slightly younger audience? I haven't changed anything because I, when I started writing it, it was with a young adult audience but because to me vampires have always been you know this sort of they're quite erotic aren't they everything mm-hmm, that they do mm-hmm. is there is a real edge of sex to it so I thought even if it's a young adult book I, I don't you know I'm not really interested in sort of blushing virgin vampires to be honest <laughs> <laughs> you know you're talking again people who've been around for hundreds of years they're, they're quite likely gonna gonna know what they're doing um yeah so I think for me, it was a case of I'll put in as much as I think is acceptable for that age range. And I'm not going to be too graphic because that then should make it for an older audience. But it's not for really young teens. Um, Mm -hmm. And if it was, then I think it's up to the parents to read it and decide if they think that that's acceptable or not. Which would probably depend on their kids reading level. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think there's anything in there that I would object to a younger teen reading if they were into vampire books. I mean, yeah. really, the whole question is if they're into vampires, that's a certain level of um, maturity to begin with, right? You think yeah. so? But I mean, I suppose there are sort of 
younger tampatos yeah yeah i guess it's it's a little more um you know you have more scenes in revelations that i could see a parent being like well i'm going to wait for my child to be a little bit older for those scenes but um when when i was reading them i was like wow these were really really well written and like i can imagine yeah. these scenes really really well so um i think as you said that it would be up to a, a parent to decide if their child needs a little more time for those you did yeah. a fabulous job being uh very very sexy without being explicit so. I, I was yes. just thinking so that too <laughs> yeah and i appreciate you know it's almost like the the old you know well not old but just different movies that you know you see just enough to know you know kind of what's going on and then there's the fade out of like okay now we're going to give you privacy yes <laughs> you know uh-huh. and i i thought that was really well done I want to jump into the idea of the donor system, which I think is kind of the hook, right? That kind of gets us interested in why am I going to pick up this vampire book? Oh, this is an interesting system. <laughs> um, but doing what we do, and I, and I work, I work with middle schoolers. Um, I, I teach middle schoolers, and when the woke uh, era that we're in now, and I consider myself pretty awoke i kind of i kind of cringe to say the word now but because the right wing is, negative connotation yeah, yeah but anyway um i was just wondering if you'd had any pushback on the idea of uh the donor system as it might be a little bit like self-harm or you know there's certainly issues around consent like can you sign away your consent ahead of time you know like that they have to be able to give them blood at any time just a whole interesting can of worms i thought was you know would be fun to discuss Mm. okay so first of all obviously the main thing is you can't go into a house unless you're over 18 uh, which obviously in the uk is what we would consider you know you're 18 now go nuts do whatever you want um Mm -hmm. so that immediately is obviously children or anyone under 18 cannot be in there at all. Um, but there'll be more on that in future books. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> but obviously the contract is, is voluntary. No one you have to apply is, is the first thing. And, you know, you don't have to go. It, it's not like anyone's forced in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... I I hope at least it's made clear in the books that it is possible to become addicted to a vampire's bite, Mm -hmm. just as it's possible to become addicted to anything that gives you physical pleasure. Like, you know, people get addicted to all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And although it's not common, it can happen. But Mm -hmm. I I hope, like I said, the book made it clear that if, if that was suspected to be happening, then that donor, their contract will be terminated they will have to leave the house. And once you leave a house, you cannot ever come back or go to any other house. So if they think you might be getting addicted, your supplies cut off, they're then done. You can't mm-hmm. ever be bitten again. Um, because obviously it's important and they have to take care of, of donors for everyone's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, which would again cross into the fact that no, you can't refuse a vampire blood, but 
it is also stressed that they make sure that no one's taking too much. For mm-hmm. example, they have to to keep the health of the donors very much into consideration. And you are always given the choice of where you're bitten, for example, which Rennie has asked, you know, mm-hmm. several times, do you want to be bitten from the neck? Would you prefer the wrist? Which, you know, as, as you can see in the book, does create a situation when a vampire bites her without asking and she's like, what mm-hmm. the hell? <laughs> you can't yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I think the system as it is there certainly takes that into consideration. Cool. Um, yeah, no, and I, I realize that that's like really digging in, but we're, we're used to dealing with people who will, who will find it any, you know, little tiny uh, problem and blow it way out of proportion. So I, and, and uh, just for the record too, I think it's okay to, you know, if you, if you're going to write about self-harm too, not that you did, but you know, that's mm. okay to do. Uh, but I was just curious whether there was any pushback. Um, not what I've heard. I mean, people can, maybe people are saying it behind my back. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no one said it to me. Well, and I don't think there's much happening in the world behind one's back anymore. Everything seems to hit social media. Uh, so yeah, it's out there. You would know. <laughs> oh, that's good then. <laughs> uh, um, uh, we also have a few more questions about uh, now that we've, enjoyed talking about the books about your writing process um how would you describe the experience of writing on wattpads uh did it affect your storytelling it seems like you kind of came up on wattpads so maybe that is all you know uh but i'll let you tell us yeah so i'm actually writing for i mean i've i've been writing for as, as long as i could physically write um and I had already tried submitting books to agents for years and years and years before discovering Wattpad. And I'd found Wattpad because I had a a book that I knew wasn't going to sell in a traditional market at that time period. I was like, if it had been five years ago, yeah, maybe. But that trend is over. So Mm -hmm. my choices are either let it, you know, just sit in a drawer forever or, hey, what's this website? Let's post it here, which which kind of took off. but I don't think it's affected my writing process much. I mean, I I think all the things that I used to do, which is, you know, I loved cliffhangers anyway, which works really well for a Wattpad format, mm. but I already loved them, so. <laughs> well, that's how, that's how they say to write, right? Every chapter, you should be like, you can't not turn a page. Yeah. <laughs> and Bella, because we're not as familiar with Wattpad, is it a a place where you post chapter by chapter or how does it work? Yes. So you upload a chapter at a time and I mean, you could upload, you know, multiple chapters a day if you wanted to. I would typically do say one or two a week. So my, I mean, I'm not writing anything on that just at the moment, but normally for me, it would be Tuesday and Friday, you get a new chapter and people, they can read it, they can vote for it or they can comment. So you have, what we call inline comments. And if you see a particular line of dialogue, you're like, oh my God, I love this. You can literally say that, but a comment on the book on that exact line of dialogue saying that. So I can then interact with the readers, which obviously is super fun. Yeah. And you can't do that in That's any so other cool. format. Yeah. Yeah. Did did they ever influence how you were 
telling the story or did you ever change your mind about what you wanted to do or was it just more exciting to have people read as you were going along? I was I was almost influenced with a different book because there are a couple of characters in that book. I don't want to say which book that readers had got very attached to. And and I was kind of watching each chapter and you're like, oh, it's going to be awkward when I kill them both off. <laughs> so I did think like, oh, I killed one and it caused a lot of comments of, you know, oh my God, how could you do this? <laughs> maybe I should not kill the other one but I just thought no like this is the book you wanted to write this is what you feel is best you're gonna have to stick to the gut and don't be don't be influenced because you know if if you let yourself be influenced by what you know these readers want then you're kind of opening yourself up to you, you can't please everybody right um, yeah so you know the perfect ending for this group of people might be the worst ending for that group of people and so on and you think well you know, just write what you want to write and people will either like it or they won't and that that speaks to the creative process as a whole whether you're a songwriter or an artist of you know um a visual artist whatever you you have mm. to tell your story or you yeah. lose the joy of doing what you're doing yeah and i think you could cripple yourself thinking oh but what if they don't like this or what if they don't like this or what if someone doesn't like that and you think well you'll never write anything then <laughs> yeah. so true yeah but um how did you respond like how do you develop that hard shell of responding to the negative comments because surely I mean you never get all like you said you can't please everyone um I think you just have to remember that not everyone is going to like your book you know the best books in the world are going to have still huge number of people who hate every single word just I mean yeah. ideally you would hope that people don't come and say it to your face because that's unnecessary <laughs> yes. sometimes they still do you know you you'll get tagged in a review and you'll read it you're like why did you tag me uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think as well I used to be part of sort of online critique groups mm-hmm. for books like a really 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 long time ago and those people will not pull their punches so you you kind of either toughen up and accept that this is part and parcel of being a writer or you're gonna you know fold like a cheap umbrella and you're gonna have to choose another career basically right mm-hmm. right yeah that makes sense um I, I wanted to ask one other follow-up question on that which is you mentioned something earlier in our interview about um word count is there a a word limit on wattpad for each upload that you do um, I'm going to be really honest. I'm not sure what it is at the moment. It used to be chapter limits, and I believe okay. it was 200 chapters was the maximum. Mm. But I know there have been changes made, but because they haven't affected me yet, because none of my books have ever been quite that long, uh-huh. um, I'm honestly not 100% sure right now what the format is. There are people who have been given allowances I think I have met someone who had more than 200 chapters and how she managed that, I don't know. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it is, I suppose that's in one way, that's another good thing about it is that you're not, you know, restricted by a word count. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, the word count can be really good for like reining you in a bit and, you know, 
Yeah, that yeah. is true. I was, it's I was all thinking about terming. That. Yeah, the editing and, and making sure what you have is essential and beneficial to the story and not just... Yeah, um, yeah. which is definitely something that I had to do with, with the published versions are much shorter than the original Wattpad versions. Uh, and yet they are better book for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, so moving on to the next question, in your when you come up with a story idea, would you say your writing style is more of a plotter who plots out everything with like, you know, like you know everything that's going to happen sort of in your head before you start? Or are you more of a fly by the seat of your pants kind of a writer? I am a plotter to the point of being <laughs> obsessive and most <laughs> other authors that I talk to recoil in horror. <laughs> um, that, so that must be helpful if you're under a deadline though that you already know where it's going to go absolutely um so i will draw up a plan of everything that's going to happen in the book you know every every scene every important character arc, it will be literally a step-by-step guide to everything that happens and plan could be you know it could be upwards of 30 pages long oh wow uh, and yeah, most authors that I've ever spoken to are absolutely horrified by this because they feel that that completely stifles all creativity. Whereas I can't, I've tried other methods and I was like, this is the only way that works for me. Well, it opens up creativity in different ways, I think. I mean, everybody's brain works differently, but, um, you know, if if you need the structure, then you can, you know, have maybe more fun with the nuance while you're writing it instead of worrying about what's going to happen next so I I think it really can go both ways and it has a lot of benefits for me because as you said you're never going to really get stuck in the same way of like oh what happens now because you can think I know what happens now Uh (laughs) (laughs) whereas you know the the other end of that of course is that if some of us uh myself included if if I had to know where it was all going that would I would never start because I'd never I don't yeah. sit down and make plans because yeah. I don't plan my Definitely. weekly grocery list even so <laughs> it's, it's just me not everyone, but I mean one one way that it really really benefits me is a book that I was writing years and years and years ago and I did the plan and I had you know all the characters planned out but as I was writing this plan I had this one character that I was like he doesn't actually have anything to do or anywhere to go. I don't really now know. Like what I had planned for him doesn't really fit into the framework of the book. So he just got cut out. And yeah. that worked much better to do it before I'd written the book rather than having to then go back to the whole book and remove any mention of him and stitch up all the bits where he had been. It just that mm-hmm. was it. Just, yeah. You know? Yeah. I I remember hearing uh Holly Black talk about that one of her series is she's a more of a pantser um but she wrote a series that was uh a a con you know it it took the whole grifters and that sort of thing uh, happening so she had to plan it out because you know you can't set that kind of thing up if you don't know where it ends and uh she said it was interesting to you know to do it that way it was a whole different process well i think it can be beneficial if you're writing a series as well, because, you know, by book three, you might think, oh, actually, this isn't working. I need to change something in book one. 
And obviously, mm-hmm. if you've already written book one, you, you're like, oh, well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's become a, a major, you know, sort of three, four, five book plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be it can be beneficial. But most authors I know are pantsers. <laughs> mm, yeah. And, and that's interesting, too, because I've, I've heard really good arguments on both sides of that. And, you know, when you say that the, the panthers are saying that if you're a plotter, that stifles creativity. But, I mean, you can still be a plotter and get to a point in your plot where you realize this isn't working. I've tried yeah. to write this and it isn't working. And you still have the freedom to change things around Absolutely. that will still fit in with your overall plan. So I, I can see that, too. Yeah, I think it's just for most authors, the excitement is not knowing where you're going next. Mm. It can be. Or the journey for them. Whereas for me, I'm like, I don't want to know where I'm going next. I get very easily lost. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, uh, you know, hello, uh, creating a whole plot, that's creativity. So Yeah. I, th- I mean, for me, it's always, there isn't, there is no one way to write a book. There is literally just the way that works best for each individual author. The fact and each individual book, for that matter. And, and most, yeah. the fact that most authors seem to prefer pantsing is, okay, go for it. Mm-hmm. I yeah. tried it, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's part of the, the whole learning process. Um, so when when you decided to write Belmort, did you know that it was going to be a series or were you originally thinking that it was a standalone? I had thought that I wanted it to be at least two books. The very original plan for it was not quite how it is now. Uh So the very original idea was a bit more of a horror. Hmm. And I kind of realised really quickly, well, you can't do as much, in my opinion, with that. And if, if in that version all the vampires are, you know, much more monstrous, Mm -hmm. I don't particularly want to write that rom like there's not as much scope for romance. I have read authors who have made that kind of romance work. I don't think I could pull it off. I wanted it to be much more romantic. So I was like, right, we're gonna have to change the horror bit. Gonna have to be <laughs> maybe more of like an urban fantasy um type. Mm-hmm. And also doing that opened up much more of a scope of what, you know, this world could be mm-hmm. and where it where it can go. And I think it was probably by the time I was planning book two, I was like, yeah, I can do a lot more. Mm-hmm. You know, go to book four and then, I mean, honestly, if, you know, if, if the book sells well, if the whole series does well, I've got more books I can write. There is definitely yeah. more that I have planned for the world. And if the series doesn't sell well, I'll probably write them anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> right. And somewhere. I get. I mean, because just in our discussion, you know, I've had so many thoughts pop into my head of of where different directions that it could go, and I'm I'm sure you've already thought of everything that just popped into my head. So, um, but yes, there's a lot of possibility out there. Um, I'm a li- I'm curious though, um, as you were writing Belmort and and then continuing on, like you know, you said you know, you, you came up with the idea for the second book and realized it could be a series. So, um, you know, can you describe kind of the learning process uh, that that transpired between writing and publishing your first novel, Belmort, and then writing and publishing 
um, revelations. And as you said, knowing that there are more books to go and did you get constructive advice that you were able to implement um, that has really helped your writing to continue to evolve? Yeah. And just to interject, I, I was curious too, because I was way more invested in revelations than I was in Belmont. So I was just curious if there was, or maybe it's just a matter of momentum, you know, cause once you've created the world, yeah. Uh, but anyway, I'll let you answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so again, with this series, because it was written originally and posted on Wattpad, I mean, oh, I'm trying to think, it's probably seven, six or seven years ago that I think it was originally posted. Mm -hmm. So I don't remember the exact thought process that made me realise, you know, there's more to this world as much as thinking hey, there are all these other characters that I want to explore more of them, more of, you know, their experiences. And the events of Revelations, you know, I mm -hmm. want to explore how that's going to impact everything, say, in the third book, which is going to, I think in many ways, it's going to be a very different book to the first two. So hopefully that gamble pays off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm definitely, by the way, read those chapters and I'm looking forward yes. <laughs> to that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I did as well. I, 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 I was I was a little disappointed, not disappointed with the book, but but sad when Revelations ended because I, I was ready for it to keep going. Um, and so I appreciated that you put those put those little teaser chapters in there of the start of of the next story. And um, and I'm. If I'm allowed to, I I just am I allowed to mention a character's name? I guess, from, yeah. oh, from the third. Well, I just am fascinated to know if you're planning to do anything um, from Nikki's point of view in the future. Oh yeah, she was great. If I can, then definitely in the future I have. All I can say at this point is, if I'm allowed to, I have big plans. Okay. For Nikki, I have a whole folder here of great yeah i so, i i'm so looking forward to nikki's story mm -hmm. well unfortunately yeah uh, it there's no guarantee that you know obviously the publisher will want to continue with the series i i can hope but like yeah. i said one way or another i'm going to still write the books um mm -hmm. and if if nobody actually wants to publish them then they'll go on what they'll get written one day uh, but it will be after the main series finishes but i definitely have lots of exciting ideas that I'm really looking forward to exploring. Do you, do you have a contract for a certain number of books at this point or like four. what can we expect in terms of published? She said yes. four. 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 Okay. Ah, mm -hmm. that's great. And Bella, is there anything else that you'd like to tell us about your books as we wrap things up? Ooh, um, <laughs> I don't know other than go read them. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And yes. I assume people can find them in bookstores and online in lots of places. Yeah. Yeah. We're having some shipping issues with the UK at the moment, which I'm not sure what's going on there, but everything should be fine in the US. Awesome. Mm. That's great. Well, we definitely hope that you get lots more people to read them soon. Thank you. Yes. Do you have? Do you, do you mind if I ask? Do you have a sense of where most of your readers are coming from? Are Are you getting more readers from the U.S. or more readers from the U.K. and Europe? 
I think the majority are going to be North American because mm-hmm. it's the biggest market. Um, sure. obviously it's where my publisher is, is based. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. their marketing efforts, you know, sort of contest giveaways, all of that has been focused on North America. So any UK giveaways have been done by me, not not my publisher, uh, because the market here is it is just smaller because, you know, we're so tiny. <laughs> right. Are you doing book tours? Uh, I don't think there's anything planned at the moment. I did go out to LA in November, last November, to do a book signing. Um, I don't know if there's going to be anything like that this year. I think I'll just have to wait and see what Mm -hmm. my publicist comes up with. Hopefully something exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we would certainly love to meet you in person at some point if that is in the future plans. So, um, yeah. Well, great. And Bella, could you please tell our listeners where they can find you online? You can find me either on Wattpad, which is just Bella Higgin, or I'm author Bella Higgin on Instagram. Awesome. Bella, thank you so much for talking with us today. Yeah, I had a really good time. This was really fun. Thank you so much. And we really uh, enjoyed reading your books. That's what I like to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Bella. Thank you. We really enjoyed talking with Bella. It was such a pleasure to speak with her. You can find Bella's contact information in our show notes. And I just want to add that it was just a delight to hear Bella speak. She, uh, obviously being British, has just uh, obviously a different accent, but it was just very charming to hear her speak. And it was really charming to hear her say the names of the characters in her voice. Um, (laughs) Yes. Especially having read, you know, because we all read in our own heads and um, hear our own voices. So that was really, that was really a lot of fun. Yes, yeah. and uh, as a Patreon perk, if you want to hear us discuss our favorite vampire books, you can tune in for that. Yep. Absolutely. Just join us at Patreon. Yes, please join us. And also, please join us next time for a discussion of Looking for Alaska by John Green. If you would like to leave us a question or comment, please visit theroguelibrarians.com or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Rogue Librarians Pod or on Twitter at Our Librarians. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And please leave us a rating and review. Your ratings and reviews help other people to find our podcast. If you would like to help support our podcast, please join us at Patreon at patreon.com slash rogue librarians. One of the perks is that as a uh, Dorothy mentioned, you can listen to our discussions of other books that we love. Another way that you can support our podcast as well as indie bookstores across the country is by purchasing a book from our affiliate shop at bookshop.org slash shop slash rogue librarians. You can find lists of the books that we have discussed and others on our site. And finally, thank you to Chris, our music creator for the brilliant intro music Heather for running our Twitter page, and Lizzie for doing our fabulous audio editing. We couldn't have done this podcast without any of them. And most especially readers, thank you for listening to us. 
because books, books are meant, are to, meant be to be read. read. Bye. Bye.